Hi, this is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And uh, today I have the great pleasure of welcoming back Dr. Dimitrios Natsiudis, who is uh, in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology with Gynecologic Oncology at the Hospital of University of Pennsylvania. Uh, and uh, we're really, really proud to uh, certainly have this uh, discussion because it is as part of a uh, lead article discussion on a manuscript titled Safety of Ovarian Preservation for Premenopausal Patients with uh, FIGO Stage 1, Grade 2 and 3, Endometrioid, Endometrial Adenocarcinoma. So, Demetrius, uh, welcome uh, again to, to the podcast. Always a uh, great pleasure to have you, and uh, we look forward to, to this discussion. Thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation and the interest in uh, our article. Excellent. So, Demetrius, I know that you know. Obviously, you're you're in, in the midst of your your clinical uh, years and your fellowship. So, we uh, want to be respectful of your time, and uh, we want to get right into the uh, questions. Um, I wanted to first start by discussing as to what the guidelines recommend uh, today in the management of patients with endometrioid uh, grade one or grade two uterine cancer, as it pertains to preserving the ovaries. Yeah, so with the increasing incidence of endometrial cancer among young women, given the obesity epidemic, the dilemma of ovarian preservation is now frequently encountered in the clinic. Since 2018, uh, the NCCN guidelines state that ovarian preservation may be safe in select premenopausal patients with early stage endometrioid cancer, normal appearing ovaries, and no family history of breast ovarian or Lynch syndrome. Uh, without though providing any specific limitations based on tumor grade or depth of myometrian invasion or any detailed strategy on patient selection. On the other hand, the most updated ESCO guidelines state that ovarian preservation can be considered only for premenopausal women aged less than 45 years that have low-grade endometrioid tumors that invade less than 50% of myometrium, and again, without any obvious or extra uterine disease or presence of Lynch syndrome. Uh, so there is no, the guidelines, like this is a gray zone, grade two and three, especially grade three, regarding regards to ovarian preservation. Yeah, and, and absolutely, I think that reflects the the standard practice and recommendations that we give our patients that typically for, particularly as you mentioned for grade three, that uh, that one routinely recommends to to have the ovaries removed. But um, I'm, I'm excited to 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 discuss this topic um, because obviously this is uh, pertinent to to the aim of your of your study. Uh, I wanted to just uh, uh, get into like the inclusion criteria and tell us a little bit about the source of the information that you used in this study. Yeah, so we access the National Cancer Database, which is a large hospital-based database that covers approximately 70% of all newly diagnosed cancer cases in the U.S. And we selected patients that were aged less than 45 years old, which was a surrogate for premenopausal uh, age, and who were diagnosed with FIGO stage 1 endometrioid adenocarcinoma that was limited to the uterus. We selected then patients that had grade two or grade three disease based on the, on the pathology report, did not have any history of any other tumor, and underwent hysterectomy with or without lymphadenectomy, and had information on the performance BSO or ovarian preservation. Uh, so patients with unknown data were excluded, as well as patients uh, that received receive neoadjuvant radiation therapy or those who had to not have any follow-up. Great. And um, now tell us, what did you find? 
uh, what were the results and and what what should be the main take home messages from from this article? And, and certainly, obviously, uh, we look forward to further discussions as well uh, in, in the in the upcoming journal club. But um, for those who are listening to this podcast, what are the main results? What are the take home messages? So so we identified a total of twenty nine hundred forty one patients that met the inclusion criteria. And the overall rate of variant preservation was very low. It was 200 patients, which uh, correspond to 6.8%. Interestingly, mm -hmm. we observed a decline in the utilization of variant preservation from 2004 up to 2014. And we didn't see any difference in terms of demographic characteristics, like such as AIDS, insurance, or presence of comorbidities between the two groups. Uh, also, the rate of variant preservation was similar in patients with grade three and grade two tumors, and there was no differences in terms of tumor size and depth of myometrial invasion. Now, when we looked at the overall survival outcomes, the median follow-up was over uh, five years for both the ovarian preservation and the PSO group. And there was no overall survival difference between the two groups. The five-year overall survival rates was 96.6 uh, .6 for the BSO and 97% for the ovarian preservation. And uh, there was no survival difference, even after we controlled for confounders, just uh, such as substage, uh, tumor grade, and uh, performance of lymphadenectomy. And also when we excluded patients that received the adjuvant radiation therapy. Uh, so there was, bottom line, there was no overall survival difference between the two groups. Taking it, that with a grain of salt, of course, because the overall survival was excellent uh, in both groups. Uh, lastly, we also looked at a big group of patients, regardless of age, and wanted to see uh, what is associated with the incidence of adnexal involvement. So uh, we examined uh, close to 9,000 patients with clinical stage one, grade two or grade three endometrial tumors, uh, and the overall incidence of isolated adnexal involvement was 1.1%, and factors that were associated with adnexal involvement were presence of lymph node metastasis, LVSI, and positive peritoneal cytology. So bottom line, our study provides further evidence that ovarian conservation can be um, performed uh, for patients with grade two tumors. However, for patients with grade three tumors, the subgroup was very small, and any, any uh, generalization cannot be made. Excellent, excellent summary. So grade two seemed to be fine and uh, grade three, we still need more data, I guess. Um, so I wanted to ask you, you have a, a really great graph there in the, in the article about the fact that there have been some temporal trends and, and you showed that the rates of ovarian preservation have progressively declined over time. Uh, why do you think this might be the case? Yeah, this was actually a surprising finding, given the increasing evidence suggesting that ovarian conservation can be considered for young premenopausal women, and also the NCCN currently endorsed this concept, uh, as we previously discussed. However, preserving the ovaries has some theoretical risks. First, there is the risk of microscopic occult metastasis from the primary endometrial to the ovaries, as well as risk of synchronous ovarian, uh, primary ovarian cancer, which is elevated for premenopausal patients. Also, there is the risk of subsequent ovarian cancer, which uh, a nice seared study demonstrated. Uh, as, and lastly, there's the theoretical risk of stimulation of any residual microscopic disease from estrogen, since endometrial cancer, especially grade two and grade one, is an it's a hormone receptor positive uh, disease. Uh, while, uh, in addition, we do not have firm guidelines to help us uh, with the surveillance of these patients, 
that have their ovaries preserved, as well as whether removal of the ovaries after menopause is warranted. So there is a gap in our knowledge in terms of how to manage these patients. Uh, on the other hand, of course, surgical menopause has negative impact on the metabolic profile, bone health, and cardiovascular health of the patients, uh, which is the most common cause of death for women with endometrial cancer. Uh, so since data from randomized, randomized trials, as well as two meta-analysis suggest that hormone replacement therapy, hysterectomy may not be associated with increased risk of recurrence, especially for the low-risk group, we, we hypothesize that the decrease of rates of ovarian conservation may be related to an increased use of HRT among young patients. So given the gaps in our, low, in our knowledge, the risk of uh, ovarian micromets or synchronous primary ovarian cancer, we suspect that many providers would prefer to remove the ovaries and place the patient on HRT, which uh, there is evidence to support. Great. And, and I wanted to go back to the point that uh, often it's a, you know, a concern uh, that is raised by many oncologists uh, with regards to that element of occult metastases. And I heard you uh, quote 1.1%. Uh, um, now, does that apply to grade twos and threes, or is that more so for grade one? Yeah. So this, this is an excellent question. So presence of occult and exome metastasis and secondary ovarian primary tumor is one of the main concerns in regard to ovarian preservation. It's sometimes a little bit difficult to discriminate between primary uh, ovarian versus occult, like metastasis from an endometrioid. So we wanted to look at the literature and in our paper, we also pulled data from 14 studies. And we found that for grade two tumors, uh, based on approximately 1,700 patients, the incidence of annexal involvement was 5.8%. And based on 1,300 patients for, with grade three tumors, the incidence was much higher, 13.3%. Mm. Of course, these numbers are much higher because they include patients with grossly abnormal ovaries on pre-op imaging mm. or during intra-op evaluation. But based on other retrospective studies, the incidence of microscopic ovarian involvement is much lower when the ovary is normal appearing. And it ranges in the, between 1% to 2%. So for grade 1, it's quote one zero point two to 1%, but for grade 2, it can be up to 2%. Uh, of course, there's also studies that demonstrate that elevated pre-op CA125 can be associated with an increased risk of nexonal involvement, and this could potentially aid in the preoperative selection of patients for whom ovary conservation can be performed. Very well. So the, the gross appearance of the ovaries, uh, uh, an important factor there. So uh, now, uh, Demetrius, you, you, were, you were a fellow with, with our journal, and now uh, come some of the questions from, from our fellows now. Um, the first uh, two questions uh, from the fellows comes from Alexander uh, Shushkevich uh, from Ukraine. And he asked, uh, should a potential for Lynch syndrome be a contraindication for ovarian preservation in patients with grade two or three tumors? Yeah, so given the increased lifetime risk of ovarian cancer for patients with Lynch syndrome, uh, ranging from eight to 20%, depending on the specific germline mutation, ovarian preservation cannot be recommended for uh, patients, for these patients, even in the presence of grade one disease. And this is like, stated clearly in both the NCCN and the ESCO guidelines. Uh, and so if a patient is diagnosed with Lynch syndrome pre-op or there is a strong family history, uh, we would not recommend ovarian conservation. Great. And his second question is that, you know, certainly there are many uh, institutions or practices where they still send cytology in the setting of endometrial cancer. 
Um, we don't routinely do that in our institution, but certainly uh, I, th I think a valid question for those who do. And his question is, if you send cytology and they tell you that there are malignant cells, would you still recommend ovarian preservation in a patient with grade two or three tumor? Yeah, so exactly. So based on the most recent FAGO uh, staging, positive cytology does not longer upstage patients. So uh, we don't use them routinely in our institution either. But there are several studies that demonstrate that uh, patients with positive cytology may actually have worse oncologic outcomes, possibly reflecting presence of, of uh, cold extrauterine disease. So indeed, in our analysis, uh, presence of positive cytology was strongly associated with higher mm -hmm. odds of ovarian metastasis and nasal involvement. So for these patients, uh, ovarian preservation may be associated with a higher risk of occult disease or recurrence. So we, unfortunately, we don't have strong data to guide us in this clinical scenario, but probably would favor ophorectomy given the high, ri high risk of uh, extra uterine disease. Great. Um, next question comes from, from Greece, uh, Harris Charolampas. Uh, I believe you mentioned with regards to the ovarian metastases being the, the risk of gross abnormalities in the ovaries or lymph node metastases. He, um, he asked whether tumor size in the uterus or death of invasion would help you in any way determine whether to leave the ovaries or not. Yes, yeah, so unfortunately, in our study, we didn't have uh, depth of invasion, uh, myometrial invasion available for a multi-part model. But based on another retrospective study, it is most one of the most important factors associated with the nexal involvement, so as, as well as LDSI. So over the two, it seems like depth of invasion has more uh, prognostic impact than uh, tumor size. Great. <clears throat> and uh... Next uh, comes Gabriela Civardi. He, she's from uh, Italy. And she asks, would molecular characterization add something to the decision-making process of performing ovarian preservation in a premenopausal stage one endometrioid, uh, endometrial cancer? Yeah, this, this is actually a good question, uh, especially given the increased um, incorporation of molecular classification in the management of endometrial cancer. Uh, however, probably we're not... There's not, it's not prime time yet to use it for surgical planning, such as ovarian preservation or lymph, node, lymph nodes uh, staging, uh, given the lack of uh, prospective data. Uh, however, it's, uh, one could argue that patients with polymutations may have a relative favorable prognosis mm -hmm. and would be all the optimal candidates for ovarian uh, preservation, contrary to those with P53 mutations that are, to begin with, more likely to be serous histology. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, patients with MMR deficiency, uh, MSI high, will probably not be the best candidates for ovarian preservation, given the high incidence of Lynch syndrome in this subgroup of uh, patients. So not ready, not, not good data to guide. It's a good question, something that we could look up uh, as in future research. But uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting question if how this molecular classification can aid in our surgical planning. Excellent. Yeah, excellent uh, uh, suggestion for future uh, research for Gabriela. Um, this, uh, this additional question is from her as well. She says, to my understanding, you did not control your analysis for the variable age, uh, considering that it is statistically different among the two groups. Could this have imposed any biases? Yeah, so in our study, patients that had ovarian preservation were younger than those that had BSO. However, the, the difference was statistically different, uh, but we didn't feel it was clinically significant. So the median difference was 37 versus 41 years. 
And that's the reason we did not include in our Cox model. And uh, our whole patient population was younger than 45 years. So it's a pretty young population. We did control for other demographic variables and presence of comorbidities uh, that are known to be associated with overall survival. Uh, so that's why we didn't include AIDS in our uh, Cox model. Very well. Um, <clears throat> Sarita Kumari from India, she has premenopausal age had an odds ratio of 3.13 for the presence of isolated agnexal metastases. Um, how should we factor is, this into the decision-making and counseling of our patients for ovarian preservation if other risk factors are absent? Yeah, so I think this, this association uh, is most likely related to selection bias. So we know premenopausal women are more likely to uh, retain their ovaries. And also they are uh, more likely to remove their ovaries only in the presence of abnormal findings. So we feel that uh, these patients, this group is enriched in patients who have abnormal preoperative imaging or patients with Lynch syndrome who are at risk of a synchronous ovarian cancer. Uh, so that's why we think this, this association was present. And also, unfortunately, in the NCDB, we don't, they might be miscoded uh, between second primary uh, ovarian cancer or a nexal metastasis. So we think that this, this is why we observed a high, high risk of uh, nexal um, metastasis in the premenopausal group versus the postmenopausal. Interesting. Um, and the next question again from Sarita. She asks, uh, tumor grade is a well-known predictor of lymphovascular invasion and positive lymph nodes. But here in your study, the risk of ovarian involvement was only dependent on lymphovascular invasion and positive lymph nodes, but not tumor grade. Uh, could there be a possible confounding factor here? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, I mean, apart from running uh, multicollinearity tests in our model, we did perform stratified analysis uh, based on tumor grade. And again, LBSI and uh, positive lymph nodes were associated with high risk of nexal involvement in both grade two and grade three tumors. So uh, it, it could be a, a confining factor, but the way we construct our model felt confident that LVSI and uh, positive lymph nodes were driving the, the, the incidents were more strongly associated with the nexal involvement. Very well. Uh, and now we switch over to uh, a couple of questions from Tatiana Palacios from Colombia. Uh, she mentions that in your study, just 6.8% of the patients, as you said before, underwent uh, surgery in this period with ovarian preservation. And of those, only 10% had more than 50% of myometrial invasion. Do you think that there, is, you know, that certainly are, are there enough patients uh, for any recommendation to be made about oncologic outcomes uh, from this study? Yeah, that's a good question. And this is one of the limitations. So the number of patients that had uh, deep myometrial invasion, as well as the number of patients that had grade three disease and preserved their ovaries was very small. So it's very difficult to extrapolate the results of the study to this subgroup. Uh, and uh, even though we did subgroup analysis, uh, the results, although there was no overall survival difference, the results would be interpreted with caution given a very small number of events and patients in these subgroups. Uh, also, patients with deep myometrial invasive grade three disease are also more likely to receive adjuvant EBRT, adjuvant treatment radiation. So that can also have a negative impact on the endocrine function of the ovary. So that's another confounding factor when looking, examining that specific uh, subgroup. Yeah, very interesting. Um, her next question also says, why didn't you have uh, myometrial invasion data 
as a variable of the study in the group analyzed uh, between 2010 and 2015 for the incidence of isolated ovarian metastases. Yeah, we wish we had that variable because it's very important based on uh, other studies, but the way the data are collected uh, and coded, they did not provide myometrial invasion uh, for cases that were diagnosed with an axial metastasis. So we couldn't construct a model with that variable. Uh, they use a TNM classification. So the T was T3A and there was no uh, data on the myometrial invasion. Uh, and that's why we didn't include it. But this is a very important variable that if we had, we had definitely included. Great. So now, Demetrius, I'm going to get into a question of, uh, you know, the practice and, and what we do and how do we counsel patients. Um, we often see patients who have had their surgery somewhere else for whatever reason, and then they have not incidentally finding that they had endometrial cancer. If you had a patient with an incidental finding of a grade two or three who had ovarian preservation, would you consider bringing this patient back to the operating room to remove her ovaries? Or would you simply observe? Yeah, so it, it depends. I mean, the decision uh, is more complex and it's more individualized and uh, it's a discussion with the patient. And we need to take into consideration multiple factors, pathologic and uterine factors like depth of myometrial invasion, presence of LBSI or lymph node metastasis, as well as any other adjuvant treatment plan like EBRT, uh, as well as presence of strong family history of ovarian cancer or Lynch syndrome and probably molecular uh, markers as well before we make uh, this decision. It's a certain decision-making with the patient, uh, have, taking into consideration the limited data that we have to cut this decision. Uh, and I, personally, I would favor more ovarian preservation for grade two tumors in the absence of any other risk factors uh, and in the presence of hormone receptors in the, in the, on the tumor uh, that suggest that they behave more like grade one compared to grade twos that behave more like grade one compared like and not so aggressive uh but it's a very individualized decision not many data to guide and from our paper it seems like the bulk of the patients that had ovarian preservation were grade two without deep myometrial invasion so probably uh in the absence of any other um negative pathologic factors i would favor in that group ovarian preservation Great. So Demetrius, obviously we, we consider this to be a, a great study and, and congratulations again. And, and we have actually obviously selected it as the lead article, but um, would you want to highlight what you your thoughts are with regards to not only the strengths, but also the limitations of the study? Yeah, uh, the, the major strength of the study is the large number of patients that we included and the fact that the data derived from a hospital-based uh, database, so we can see practice uh, changes and also reflect real-world practice. However, uh, there are several limitations. First of all, the, the way the data are coded, um, it does not have any central pathology review. So we do have possible tumor stage misclassifications. There's no data on tumor relapse, uh, and there's no data, more importantly, on pre-op imaging, as well as gen genomic data. And uh, the, the NCDB does not collect data from the pre-op endometrial biopsy or DNC. And we know sometimes the, 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 the information we have before surgery is different than the information we gain after surgery. So many times patients with grade two may be up, upgraded to grade three after the hysterectomy. So that's another limitation. Also, we do not know how many of these patients had ovarian transposition uh, mm -hmm. and what was the remaining hormonal function uh, of these patients. 
And lastly, for our analysis, where we're looking at the next cell metastasis, we discussed we didn't have the myometrial invasive and uh, we didn't have data on uh, if this is a true next cell involvement or another primary ovarian cancer, synchronous. Great, thank you so much for, for highlighting and outlining all of those. So as a last question, I always ask, well, how should the results of this study impact how I counsel a patient next week, how we conduct practice in this patient population? Yeah, uh, I mean, our data are, since they come from a database, uh, they should be regarded as hypothesis generating, and they should stimulate further research in the area uh, that is nowadays becoming more clinically relevant. Uh, of course, an RCT is not ethically, ethically justified, so multinational collaborations are required to generate high-quality data. We do our study. We do feel our study does provide some evidence, though, that for a subgroup of patients, those with grade two tumors and superficial uh, myometrial invasion, ovarian preservation can be considered, since it does not have any negative impact on the overall survival, uh, and that is in line with other studies that shows no difference in relapses and other retrospective studies that show no differences in oncologic outcomes. However, our results in regards to grade three and patients with deep myometrial invasion should be uh, interpreted with caution uh, since we had very low number of patients in that group and we do not have other uh, data on, the onco on their oncologic outcomes. Great, fantastic. And uh, Demetrius, thank you so, so much uh, once again. Um, I always learn so much in speaking with you and having discussions with you. You are, uh, of course, obviously a, a rising star in the field of gynecologic oncology. And, uh, and I do thank you for submitting the, the manuscript to, to our journal. I'd like to invite everyone to join us for the uh, journal club um, because I think it's going to be an exciting uh, discussion as well. So thank you once again for, for your time and thank you for accepting our invitation. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here today. And I really look forward to the journal club and the discussion with all the participants.